first sermon of the year. It's going to be the best sermon you heard all year. Huh? You get it? We're going to be in 1 Timothy chapter 4. Um, let me begin by saying this. Nobody likes to be taken advantage of. Am I right? Raise your hand if you love to be taken advantage of. You love to be the sucker who buys the infomercial thing that breaks. Or you only buy clunkers from used... Right, right? Nobody? Nobody? Nobody likes to get taken advantage of. Am I right? So I've shared with you the, uh, over the last month that Lauren and I have been van shopping. Have I shared that with you? Uh, here, here's what we were driving. This is a 2000 Chevy Astro. Uh, now, what I did was my strategy with this van with Lauren was to put off getting a, a different van as long as I possibly could. So I'd say, like, you know what? Let's just see if it makes it through the winter. You know what? Let's just let it take us through the summer. And then this last summer, Lauren went to open the side door, and it literally fell on her. The side door fell off, and she had to catch it and put it back on. <laughs> and then I had to, like, find a creative way to reattach it. So I finally said, all right, all right, it's time for uh, an upgrade. So we've been used van shopping. We didn't want new. We've been used van shopping for about a couple months now. And, and you know, I, going used car shopping, you know, it just makes you feel unsettled, right? Because you don't want to get taken advantage of. So I was afraid I was going to run into this guy on the used car lot. This is, uh, you ever see the movie Matilda? <laughs> I've got the vehicle for you. Sure you do. I was really nervous. So my shields were up because I didn't want to get taken advantage of, right? So we did our research and figured out what to look for in the car, what to watch out for in the dealer, what to steer away from in the salesman, and then we started shopping. We test drove several occasions, different dealers, different vehicles, and then we decided to take the kids on a test drive. And it's amazing, every salesman is different. We took the kids out, and the first salesman, he really didn't even know much about the van. We were asking him questions, like, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. So we didn't really want to work with him. Then the second guy, as he was pulling the van around, he smoked a whole cigarette in the van. The salesman, while he was pulling it up, so like he opened the doors and like a cloud came out from the side and our kids jumped in and they're like, they're like coughing and gagging and choking. My son Jared literally took his shoe off and put it over his face. (laughs) That was an improvement. Over in their mind, the way this van smelled. Uh, so that guy, we didn't really want to work with him. And then we finally came to this one dealer and we met Jerry, who was an awesome guy. Spoke with a thick Russian accent and, and, and like said hi to our kids and started talking to them. And then took us on a long test drive. He answered our questions like he seemed like a really genuine guy. So we liked him. I told the kids in advance they got to play it cool even if they like the van, right? Because we got to negotiate. They didn't listen. As soon as we were, we were driving a 2011 Nissan Quest, and they're like, we love it! It's got a screen! It's got... They saw it at a moonroof. They stuck their head out. They're like, Dad, we could see the sky from here. Like, you could see the sky from the wind, but we won't go there. Anyway, they loved it. So, got to the point where we were sitting down with Jerry, our salesman, and uh, Jared kept walking up, and he's like, can we buy it? Can we buy it? Can we buy it? Can we buy it? We finally had to call Grandma to come pick the kids up and take them away so we could negotiate right? In peace. Well, we ended up, happy ending, salesman we could trust, got us a great trade-in value, told us honestly about the history of the van, the dings, the dents, the history. We trusted it, great price, happy ending. I feel great that I didn't get taken advantage of, right? It's a good feeling. It would be a horrible feeling if we had actually 
walked away with a clunker. Am I right? Nobody likes to get taken advantage of. Uh, whether you're selling a van, whether you're buying a van, whether you're getting an appliance, whether you're buying a house, whatever, you don't like to get duped. Spiritually, you should have that same apprehension. The New Testament, again and again and again, calls the church to have their guard up because there are going to be some people who try and dupe you. There are going to be some people who try and enroll you. Have you heard the Cash for Clunkers program that was going on for a while? You know about that, right? They're going to try and enroll you in the Christ for Clunkers program. You give me Christ, I give you a clunker faith that takes you nowhere, and off you go. There's going to be people this year who try and draw you away from your faith in Christ. How do you watch out for them? What do you look for? How do you prepare yourself to get up and walk away from the table when someone tries to sell you on lies spiritually? That's what we're going to learn about today. First sermon of the year is a challenge from God. A challenge. Don't be deceived. Let's pray. Father, we know that you warn us of many things in the Bible, and here you're warning us today about spiritual frauds, phonies, who will try and substitute a false faith for what is true. Help us, Lord, to be on our guard. Help us to know how to watch out for this. We just pray that it would be through your word and through your spirit that we're able to avoid these. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, are you there in 1 Timothy chapter 4? 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. We've been going through the book of 1 Timothy, uh, and we skipped a little bit. We're going to come back to it on deacons, because chapter 4 really lends itself uh, better Uh, to start the new year with, with the topics it covers. So in chapter 4, verse 1, starts by saying this. Now, the Spirit expressly says that in later times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits, the teachings of demons, through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good. Nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God in prayer. If you put these things before the brothers, you'll be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Circle back now, look at verse 1. You see verse 1? It says, now the Spirit expressly says. Who is it again that's saying this to us? Come on, tell me. All right, a little bit louder now. Who is saying this to you? Spirit. Capital S means Holy Spirit. The third person of the Trinity, God the Spirit, has something to say to you. God speaks in many ways. One of the ways he speaks is through the activity and the voice of his Holy Spirit. You might say, well, God's Spirit has never said anything to me. That's actually incorrect. The Spirit has said plenty to you. You have to understand how the Spirit talks. But jot this down first. Hey, don't be deceived. First, write this down. The Spirit is warning you. The Spirit himself is warning you and me against the coming deceit. How exactly did this message from the Spirit arrive? Well, God said something through the Spirit, perhaps to Paul directly, perhaps through a prophet to him. We don't know. But uh, somehow Paul says the Spirit said this. Then you've got an authorized messenger, an apostle, 
writing a letter to another authorized messenger, Pastor Timothy. That letter eventually is recognized as canon, scripture, meaning so much more than just an apostle to a pastor. This is God's way of communicating a message to his church. And passed on down through the ages, here we have this letter to 1 Timothy that becomes God's letter to us. Why? Because it was more than Paul said. It was the Spirit said. You have to understand fundamentally where our truth comes from. 2 Timothy 3.16 says this, All Scripture is breathed out by God. All of it comes from the lips of God. It says it's useful, profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, training in righteousness. But the source of our truth, where did it originate? The very lips of God. In 2 Peter 1.21 of the Old Testament, it says this. Uh, it says, No prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So our truth comes from the lips of God. Old Testament and New His Spirit carries along the author so that what they're writing is from their pen and their mind. God's not doing mind control. It is their personality, their pen, their mind, but by God's Spirit, it is God's Word. So it becomes the Word of God. In Acts 4.25, it helps us understand how this transmission happens. It says in Acts 4.25, God, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the people plot in vain? Did you follow that? It says God spoke through King David in the Old Testament by the Holy Spirit, and then the New Testament quoted Psalm 2. Follow that one more time. God spoke to us through David by his Spirit, Psalm 2, so that it's the words of God, not the words of men. You have to understand what makes your truth distinct. The Spirit is warning you, it is God who's warning you before any other truth claim is made. Have you seen crazy warning signs out there somewhere on the road or in a store? Have you seen crazy warning signs? I found a few good ones. Check this one out. Posted in an uh, uh, auto shop. To avoid injury. Warning. Don't tell me how to do my job. (laughs) I like that. Clunk. Here's another one. This warning sign is awesome. I would follow this one. Touching wires causes instant death. I wouldn't touch that wire, would you? And then they even say they tack on a $200 fine. Not only are you dead, but then somebody comes up and says, pay up, 200 bucks for touching that wire. Hey, the Spirit is holding up a warning sign right now. When God warns us about something, I'm not going to be like, eh. Warning! There will be people who try to deceive you. The Spirit said it. The Spirit expressly says, verse 1, that in later times, some will depart from the faith. What does later times mean? Well, later times, end times, the official study of end times is called eschatology. There will be an end of the end, a period of tribulation that is really horrible, but do you know that the New Testament calls everything from when the Spirit poured out on the church at Pentecost forward, it's called the the last days. You, you've spent every day of your life in the end times uh, by the definition of the Bible. It's a long chapter, right? But it's the last chapter of the story. God says, this is it. You're in it. You're in the last chapter and you're one day closer to the end of the end. The trumpet will sound and then comes the next age. But hey, 
There's this gravity when you find out that you're in the end. There's this urgency. There's this... So you got to watch out because based on the times and based on the origin of the warning, don't be deceived. The Spirit says it will happen. Don't be deceived. Why? Well, because the Spirit's warning you, so listen. Don't be deceived. Number two, write this down. Watch out for imposters. Watch out for imposters. How can I avoid being deceived? We've got to watch out. It says in later times, some will depart from the faith. They'll depart. Uh, They will bring a different teaching. This is throughout the book of 1 Timothy, even into 2. 1 Timothy 1, 3-4 says this, As I urged you when I was going from Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any, get this, different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. Different. The word is different. Write this down. They're selling you a different faith. Don't be deceived. Watch out for imposters. Why? Because they're selling you a different faith. The word there, in time, some will depart. Did you see that? Depart from the faith. It means to wander away. To drift off of the safe trail of God's word. They have wandered off of the safe trail of God's word. And now what they're trying to get you to do is to wander off with them. Oh, they might say they're the same. They might claim their teaching is the same. They, but it's different. Um, it's, it's very in right now intellectually to, to buy into a few logically flawed arguments in our day when it comes to people who believe other things. Uh, people will tell you, you know what? All religions basically teach the same thing. Have you heard that? They're essentially the same. So it doesn't matter which one you pick because I once had a guy who was Wiccan. Like, tell, well, Christians and Wiccans believe the same thing. I'm like, really? So you believe Jesus is the Son of God who came into the world, lived the perfect life, died on the cross, rose again, the only one who rules in heaven, the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him just like me. And he's like, no. I'm like, oh, okay, well, then your thing's different. Not the same. It's a logically flawed argument that sentimentally people will believe today. And someone will say, well, you know what? I've looked into it, and all, all religions basically teach the same thing. That feels good, but it's logically garbage because all religions teach different things they're not the same they're different and when someone brings you a false doctrine they'll try and convince you it's the same thing just like a used car salesman might say tell you what you trade me in the porsche and i'll give you a yugo because they're the same thing uh no no they're not they're very different and the christ for clunker program is you let go of christ and i'll give you this same faith that will still take you to heaven. And the truth is, no, it's a clunker. You can't exchange Christ for a lie and still expect that faith to take you to heaven. It's different. The world will also tell you that all religions teach the same thing. They'll also tell you, well, they're different, but they can all be true at the same time. And that different different conversation for a different day, but that also is logically garbage. They all teach very different things and they can't all be true at the same time. Okay, So the, impo- the uh, Spirit is warning you to watch out for imposters and I just, I just want to, given the sentiment, the sentiment of the age, I just want to grab the rug 
of they all teach the same thing and yank that out from under you because they don't. They're different. And people are bringing you different truths that will lead you to different eternal destinations. And you can't just emotionally say, well, it's pretty much the same. It's different. The tragedy is if you believe this different faith, it will lead you to a horrible place. Uh, the clunker will take you nowhere. 1 Timothy 1, 18-19 says, This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. By rejecting this, some, the false teachers, have made shipwreck of their faith. This is a shipwreck. This is a picture of a shipwreck. This is what the Apostle Paul sees when he looks at certain men in the church. That can be you if you're not careful. That can be you spiritually if you're not on guard, if you're deceived and duped. And listen, I'm not talking today about other faiths out there. I'm not talking about you looking into other religions. I'm talking about homegrown heresies. Pastor so-and-so sharing something with you that's not the gospel. Deacon, bishop such-and-such, an author on a Christian website of a Christian book or blog. I'm talking about an in-house thing. Someone who seems legit saying things that are not true can lead to you being shipwrecked in your faith. I'm talking about people in this church, small group leaders, elders, deacons, or pastors who can go astray. It's happened in other Harvest churches. Out of nowhere, an elder suddenly announces based on YouTube videos he's been watching that he believes different things about the New Testament. And everyone looks at him like, where did you get this? That's not true. And if you look into the nature of the heresy in this book, most of the people in the church we're kind of looking at these false teachers like, where did you get that? They're talking about myths and endless genealogies and Old Testament weird interpretations and things that weren't even in their Bible. And most of the people in the church were looking at these false teachers like, huh? That is so not true. And they weren't falling for it. But there were a few who were getting sucked in. Oh, tell me more. Show me that in the Old Testament. Where did you hear that? You... And they were getting drawn in. They were gullible and they were falling for a different faith. They were about to be shipwrecked. 1 Timothy 1, 5-6 says this, The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Certain persons, false teachers, by swerving from these have wandered away into vain discussion. The word again is swerve. When I think of the word swerve, I remember... The time I, I was in a car, we were coming back from, I think, uh, on, on uh, I-88, coming back from a road trip, and uh, out of nowhere, the person driving the car tried to make a, a pass too quickly, and the car just started spinning out of control. We were going about 70 miles an hour, and right over to the side, and somehow we came to a safe stop. I'll never forget that, though. Swerving out of control. Spiritually... These people, these false teachers, are trying to jerk the wheel of your faith and get you to swerve into disaster. Check this out. This is a dashboard cam that picked up a guy who was driving along, tries to make a pass. It's a pothole, and just goes off the road a little bit, and it's just enough to get him over in the ditch, spinning, and he's somehow okay. 
was like, what just happened? Where am I? I'm in a ditch and, whoa. Check it out. This could be you spiritually. This picture of him, once he's in the ditch, can be you this year if you're not careful. How did I get here? I went off the road this far for this long and in the ditch. Spiritually speaking, you could be shipwrecked. You could swerve out of control because they're selling you a different faith that's going to take you to a bad place. These are people who can look like, act like, talk like legitimate spiritual authority figures, and they're not. The Spirit is warning you, watch out for imposters in the church. They're selling you a different faith. Write this down. They're also buying from a different supplier. The truth they're bringing you is not from God. Where does it say that? Well, chapter 4, verse 1, it says, In later times some will depart from the faith. How? By devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. Deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. Where do they get this other truth? Well, deceitful spirits, the teachings of demons. Let me, let me give you a, a, a short little 101 class on demons. Demons are spiritual beings that were once angels. They were designed to enjoy God's presence. They blew it. They were designed to help you enjoy God's presence. They've refused that. Satan was an angel. Instead of glorifying God in the presence of the Almighty, he decided he would like to receive glory instead of the Almighty, and he fell. Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. He's a fallen angel. Good beings gone bad, and they now try to ruin the world. Uh, Spiritual warfare is the battle between good and evil beings, they're real, beings that spills over into your realm. They have some influence over your life, not total. They have some influence over your life. And Satan is known as being the tempter and he's also the deceiver. Tempter meaning he will put things in front of you that are traps, pleasures uh, that, that are forbidden or promises that are not true. And if you fall for it, you will be taken captive um, to do his will and lead to great pain. But he's not just the tempter, he's also the deceiver. Meaning he will spiritually orchestrate lies being communicated to your spirit. Lies about God, lies about yourself, lies about the Bible, lies about the church, lies about other people who you trust and follow. Lies. He's the deceiver. He's the, acu- he's the deceiver and he's the tempter. And these false teachers were getting their lies not from above, but from below. It's really an information battle that uh, rages on in the heavens between God and Satan. Satan brought a lie into the Garden of Eden, right? Did God really say, you will surely not die? Lie is a lie that led the world astray. And it'll be a lie in your heart that takes root and leads you astray. You have to watch out for distortions of your faith coming from within. Do you know a few of the cults you know, that, that are in our day, like they started around Christian people and in Christian circles. Um, you know, Jehovah's Witnesses, they knock on your door, they knock on my door, they're all around. Where'd they come from? Do you know, in 1872, Charles Taze Russell, in Bible studies, or so he called them, denied hell, denied Jesus was divine. In fact, Jesus is an angel in the Jehovah's Witness teaching. They denied the Holy Spirit is divine. And Charles Taze Russell taught that if you really wanted to understand your Bible, he's the only one who could explain it to you. The one-man interpretation. 
That's not from God. And many people have been duped by it. It's not from God. 1872, somebody comes out with a revision of our faith. Uh, Not true. What about Mormonism? Well, in the early 1800s, Joseph Smith had allegedly a series of heavenly manifestations where he got new information that upgraded our book. They call themselves the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. But he got heavenly manifestations that changed our Bible. And he would say, they would say, Jesus is actually a created being, not a divine Savior. You too could become a God one day if you're a good Mormon. Um, And that's not from God. It's not from God. What if he really saw something? What What if he had some sort of heavenly experience? Well, in the book of Galatians, the Apostle Paul said, even if an angel of heaven brings me a different gospel, let him be eternally condemned to hell forever with an angel who brings me a different gospel. We have to be on guard or we'll be deceived and misled. We have to watch out for imposters. Um, Maybe you're not falling for Jehovah's Witnesses or Mormons, but there's other heresies that are out there. Many who roam and name it, claim it, prosperity gospel circles are bringing a different gospel. Okay, Jesus didn't come into the world so that you could have an awesome mansion and heaven in this life. Okay? And people are lying from the pulpit, selling this prosperity gospel that teaches Jesus came to make you happy, healthy, and wealthy. And no, he didn't. He came to give you a cross on your back so that you can die and follow him at all costs, even your life, because he's worth it. Your heaven is in the next world, not in this world. It's a false gospel. Many, many get encumbered in legalistic circles where somebody brings them a list of do's and don'ts, everything from dress code to personal moral choices and movies and dancing. And, and if you follow our list of external you know, restraint, then you get to go to heaven and be a good Christian. No, that's a false gospel. The external obedience to rules can never give you a redeemed heart. Only God's Spirit can change you within. They're from a different supplier. We have to watch out for imposters. The Spirit is warning us. They're selling you a different faith. They're buying it from a different supplier. Number three, write this down. You've got to know what to look for. If you're going to make it through this year without being deceived, without drifting off track, you've got to know what to look for. In verse 2, it gives us some descriptions of what some false teachers are like. Not all. But in verse 2, it says this. Through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. Circle back again, verse 2, it says, through the insincerity. The word insincerity means uh, double-faced, two-faced. So write this down. Know what to look for. They live double lives. It's a word drawn from the theater of of an actor who would wear a mask. And the actor would wear a mask and be one person in one scene and then take off the mask and be another person in another. Two-faced. These false teachers were in Ephesus were two-faced. In church, leading the small group, at the elders' meetings, they were one person. And once they stepped out of that setting, masks came off, there were another person. All right, two-faced. One of the key indicators that you've got a false teacher in front of you is he's one person in private and he's a total different person in front of the camera. All right? Two people, two-faced, mask comes on, mask goes off, he's a hypocrite. Check this out. At Stag High School, when we met there for a while, backstage, I found this giant mask because we met at a theater. And I thought, that's pretty cool. 
uh, I brought that out when this same word came up. Hypocrite, two-faced. And there are people, there are pastors, there are Christian authors, there are deacons and elders, small group leaders, there are denominational leaders who have a giant spiritual mask on. They're masquerading as one thing. Say, sound legit, writing things that seem true, but they live double lives. We find out later that these false teachers in Ephesus were actually after power and money. They really loved money. They really served money. Greed was their God. They weren't just going to stand up and say, please give me all of your money so I can be rich because that's what I live for. They put on the mask. They say Christian things. But they sell other truths. And then when people buy into what they're saying, then they get rich, which is really what they're after. They're two-faced. They live double lives. It says, through the insincerity of what? Of liars. They're liars. Write this down. They get caught in a web of lies. They get caught up in a web of lies. The insincerity, two-faced, of liars. They're liars. They lie about what God has promised to you. They lie about what the Word of the Lord says. And just in general, they're kind of known for being untrustworthy. They're deceitful. They're liars. And, and the closer you get to them, the more you learn about them, the more you realize they're really shady and unreliable and deceptive. They're liars. Uh, lack of integrity, lack of personal integrity with what is said. Uh, telltale sign that someone is an imposter. Most famous liar ever in history. Do you know who it is? I know who it is. Here's the picture. Ta-da! I think it would actually make life a lot easier if God had engineered our bodies so that as soon as we tell a lie, our nose did get bigger. Wouldn't that make your life a whole lot easier? It would make parenting a whole lot easier. Who started it? She did. He did. Go to your room. I didn't do it. I see the nose. Now go to your room. When you were a kid, did you sing that song? Liar, liar. Pants up. That would be another helpful feature built in to the human cause. Who started it? He did. No, she did. Their pants literally start on fire. They should sell those pants. Lie detector pants. Liar starts on fire. Go to your room. Change your pants. Would make life a lot easier if there was instantly a lie detector built into the human condition. There's not. When you find a liar, you've got to look at the truth. They're probably a phony. Know what to look for. They live double lives, private, public, different people. They get caught in a web of lies. Late, maybe you lived through late, ni- late 80s, early 90s, all those televangelists look so good, drive nice car, look like legit, making a big dip. Phonies, frauds, dig beneath the surface, find all sorts of lies. Um, even in recent days, pastors coming out and they s- covered some things up and then it comes to the surface and the church tears them down because... They lied. Uh, Lack of integrity. They live double lives. They get caught in a web of lies. It says here in verse 2, insincerity, that's double-faced, hypocrite. Liars, they lie, whose consciences are seared. So here's the next one. They justify, excuse, and hide their sin. Write that down. They justify, excuse, and hide their sin. This is a... um, it's a powerful image. Their consciences are seared. Um, just kind of graphically depicts their conscience as being 
like singed or burned like with a hot iron so that it no longer works right or perhaps it's dull or insensitive. Uh, They've tampered with their own conscience. Check this out. This is like a red-hot poker that they use to brand different animals. And, uh, And imagine taking that thing, you know, the next time you get really mad at your laptop or cell phone. All right, because your laptop or your cell phone for the last time has given you grief. And you just, and just singe the thing all the way through. It's not going to work right anymore. Right? Good riddance. You were asking for it, cell phone. Well, that's what these false teachers have done to their own conscience. They've singed it so that it no longer works properly. Uh, They've tampered with it. Everyone has a conscience. Your conscience is like an intercom inside yourself. It announces moral feedback about your decisions. And your conscience is active and vocal before, during, and after you do wrong things. Leading up to the wrong thing, while you're doing the wrong thing, after you've done the wrong thing, your conscience, the intercom, keeps giving you moral feedback. God has implanted that conscience. He's written his law in your heart so that you know when you're doing wrong. The conscience can be tampered with. It can be ignored. The conscience can be reasoned with. Uh, And we do, don't we? We ignore our conscience when it's aching like a tooth. We reason with our conscience and try and justify our actions. We argue with our conscience inside when we're determined to try and make something wrong right. And finally, when we've had it with our conscience, we walk over and shove a red-hot poker down its throat so it doesn't bother us anymore. This This is our depravity. We want to sin without internal commotion, don't we? We want to sin and silence all internal debate about the sin. So we tamper with our own conscience. Have you heard a Christian about to do something or having just done something clearly sinful tell you they're at peace about it? Well, yeah, I've prayed about it. I'm at peace. But it's wrong, but I'm at peace. Peace? You call that peace? You just incinerated your conscience... That's not peace, that's arson. And you no longer want the internal voice telling you you're wrong, so when anyone around you starts to fill in for that role and tell you you're wrong, you start driving them out of your life. That's your depravity, your attempt to silence all debate about your sinful choices. It's in each one of us. We have the desire. We don't like our conscience, right? But here, these false teachers have permanently disabled their conscience in certain areas. They've tampered with it. So they justify, excuse, and hide their sin. Maybe they've minimized it. Maybe it's an anger issue that they simply will not deal with. They have, they're done with the internal fight about it, and it just is who they are, and you're just going to have to deal with it. Because they have tampered with their conscience that originally, like a smoke detector, anger, anger, time to put out the fire of anger, get out of there. And now they can sin without internal commotion. Maybe it's lust. Maybe it's women. They're after women. They've sinned sexually. They've broken faith with their wife. They've moved on to another partner. And you try and tell them what they've done is wrong. And they're deaf to you because they've disabled their conscience. Maybe it's greed. Money, they love it. They seek it. 
they live in it, they swim in it, they flaunt it, and you try and show them and they will not hear it because it's now who they are. And they think they can be a follower of Christ and they can have their love for money and they're dead wrong, but someone tampered with their conscience so it makes sense to them. They justify, excuse, and hide their sin. Sometimes they do it in private because they know it's wrong. Other times, this is even more sad and tragic, they spread it publicly in plain sight so that all those around them kind of go and adjust their conscience. And they say, well, anger and rage is allowed around here, so I'm going to tweak my conscience so that I allow it too. And then all those around them start manifesting this sin that should be detected and done with, dealt with, but, but there's been tampering going on. Know what to look for. They live double lives. They get caught in a web of lies. They justify, excuse, and hide their sin or flaunt it. Next, they control others through external restrictions. They try and control other people through rules not found in the Bible. It says in verse 3, they forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. Somehow, we don't know exactly what was going on, but somehow in Ephesus, these false teachers were, you know, they were, they were clearly not legit. Like anybody who knew them up close knew they weren't living it out. But some people were following them, and they were bringing this weird blend of Old Testament theology and new myths and endless conspiracy theory, genealogy, and some people were buying it. Most people weren't. But here they showed up, and then once you became kind of their follower, they gave you this whole list, foods you can't eat, dietary restrictions, things you shouldn't go, right? It's the new year, so there's going to be a lot of diet fads. Maybe you're going to get into a diet fad, right? What are you going to do? You're going to do paleo? Huh? What are you going to do? You're going to pick a diet out? What's, what's the latest in diet? You're going to do Atkins? You're going to do South Beach? You're going to do, you got one? You got one picked out? You got a diet? Do your diet. Have fun. But like, don't spiritualize your diet, you know? Don't police other people's diet or think somehow God loves you more because of your diet, right? He doesn't. It's just a diet. I'm on the Portillo's diet. God loves me. <laughs> That's what I'm on. Many of you see January as a time to turn over a new leaf and somehow start the year right. The way I see it, I've got the rest of the year to make up for what I do in January. I'm eating good. I don't know. Sometimes people get all spiritual about food and diet. It's not the same today. It hasn't really creeped into the church where the church is like, do this diet or you're not a Christian. Uh, But back then it was a real thing. We don't know exactly what was going on with the food, but... It was a gray area in Scripture because the Old Testament did forbid certain foods, but then Jesus declared them unclean or clean so that people can eat them. So there was a little controversy over the Old Testament. Also, some food was sacrificed to idols, and it was kind of the best food in the city, and then out it came to the market, and some Christians didn't like that it had been sacrificed to an idol. So we don't know what was going on there, but the false teachers here were saying, you can't eat any meat. None of it, that wouldn't be popular in our day, would it? (laughs) Follow me and you can't have steak. Eh, Forget you. It was popular back then, though. Somehow it was popular. They taught dietary restrictions could make you more righteous or more spiritual, and people were buying it. There was also this marriage thing. They were trying to tell people you shouldn't get married or have sex because that makes you dirty spiritually. So listen, you'll be more righteous and more spiritual if you just avoid that altogether. All right. So, so let me get this straight. You're on the no meat, no sex plan, and people are following you? I don't know how it happened, but it was really happening. And this is an instance of 
these teachers teaching things, and most people are like, huh? Where, did, where is that coming from? But some people were falling for it. They were controlling their followers through external restrictions. They were bringing these rules to their intimate lives. They were bringing these rules to their diet, promising to take them to a higher level than Christ could. You've got to know what to look for. They live double lives. They get caught in a web of lies. They justify, excuse, hide their sin, and they try and control you through external restriction. Those are some really good indicators that it's a false teacher. God's not after the external. He wants a new, fresh heart. Only Christ can do that. So here's the fourth thing. You can write this down. If the Spirit's warning you and you've got to watch out for imposters and know what to look for, number four, train yourself to follow truth. If you want to not be deceived, if you want to stay on the right track, train yourself to follow truth. This comes from verse four on. Uh, The tail end of verse three says, uh, receive uh, with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected, but it's received with thanksgiving. It's made holy by the word of God and prayer. What is he talking about there? He's, he's measuring the claim of the false teacher against God's word. God made all food. It's good. You're free to eat it. And when it says here it's made holy by the word of God and prayer, of course they prayed before meals back then. And, and in addition, Christ himself, perhaps they're talking about the word of God Christ declared these foods ceremonially clean. So you've got the Word of God. It was created good. Christ made it good. You've got prayer that you receive it with a grateful heart. Your conscience is clear. He's reasoning with them through the Bible about what's being taught. How do I train myself to follow the truth? Well, write that down. Measure other claims against God's Word. The false teachers were blatantly challenging something that was obviously true. Um, And listen, Christian... Yes, there are some false teachers. There are some instances where hard-to-understand verses um, can mislead you. Like, oh, I never saw that in there. Oh, how do you explain that? But you know, more often than not, false teaching comes and challenges things that you know to be true. Well, that's not really what John 3.16 means. I mean, yeah, you've heard it taught that way, but here's another way to look at it. Or, oh yeah, people told you hell is real, but you know what, let me give you another way to look at that. In other words, often it's the things you know to be true that come under assault. It's the foundational things that are suddenly questioned by someone in your life. And I wonder if that's going on in your life. Are you measuring their claims against God's word? Where does this come from? Like, what do you mean by a false teacher dragging me away from Christ. You know what? It's usually someone who comes into your life, some sort of a spiritual influence. Um, hey, it could, be, it could be your girlfriend, high schoolers, doesn't share your faith, wonders why you believe that, has some other thoughts on God and the Bible and life, and suddenly because of the pleasure of the relationship, you're drifting, you're veering because she's challenging what you have known to be true for years. She's not coming right out and saying this, but she's asking you to make this exchange. If you want her, you've got to let go of what you've known to be true about Christ or significantly reduce your attachment to it. could come in the form of a college professor who has some interesting ideas on theology. And at first, you're shocked because it sounds 
uh, it sounds bizarre what he's saying, but then, and then there's this pull and you're drawn to it and other people believe it. And then you find yourself wondering if that's true. And you turn against things that you've believed for a long time because this one guy's got some weird thoughts. And maybe you're being led astray. I know people who have been in Bible studies for decades and like a cashier who has a different opinion, a different faith, starts a conversation, and that's what takes Bible study man out of the game. It's going to be an... Peter was ready to swing the sword at a mob of soldiers, right? Who was it that took Peter down? The servant girl at the window, checking coats. Do you remember how that happened? Hey, uh, you know him, don't you? No, I don't. He was willing to deny his Lord because a servant girl asked him. Oh, he was going to swing his sword against the centurion, but when the servant girl asked him if he was a follower of Christ, down he went. And it's going to be an unlikely source. You won't quite know it as it's happening, but someone will try and drag you away from Christ or get you to deny the faith that you have. You've got to be on your guard. And make sure you're measuring their claims against God's word. Hey, are you seriously doubting things that you have believed for a long time. It's usually pleasure or pain that does us in. Pleasure meaning we're drawn to something else because of the perks or the money or the sex or the power that comes from that direction and we'll walk away from Christ because of the pleasure or it's pain in discouragement and anger and disillusionment because of what's happened in our life, we will turn from Christ. Usually pleasure or pain, one or the other. But we'll be seduced and there'll be a voice during that pleasure of pain trying to capture us away from what we've believed for a long time. Maybe that's you. Is someone in your life challenging your faith, questioning your faith, driving you to rethink your faith? Is your conscience trying to warn you that the life of this person is not good? They're not a good influence on you? They're bad news? Is it becoming clear that your own doubt is leading you down to immoral paths? And following them is not making you a better child of God, but it's making you a worse person. Maybe God's giving you a wake-up call here. He's asking you to measure the claims against his word. It says, everything created by God is good. Nothing is to be rejected if it's received with thanksgiving. It's made holy in the word of God and prayer. They all know this. They're being told what they already know about the creation of things and God's provision of food. The Apostle Paul doesn't take any time to even establish that marriage is good. The whole forbidding of marriage, he doesn't even stop. It's so foolish and so outlandish, he doesn't even write a word to discount it because everyone knows it's true. Marriage is good. In verse 6, he says, If you put these things before the brothers, you'll be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Staying on the good path, Good servant of Christ Jesus, properly trained in the words of faith. Write this down finally. Trade yourself to follow truth. Measure other claims against God's word. And don't let others warp your walk with Christ. Don't let others warp your walk with Christ. If you find yourself lacking joy, exposed to these weird rules and strange teachings, someone is warping your walk with Christ. And nobody should be able to sell you on a new pathway towards God's favor. Listen. People will bring you the Christ for clunkers plan this year. They'll bring you the you give up Christ and I give you a clunker. Oh, they'll polish it up. They'll make it sound real good. 
They'll spray some pressure in it and it will be somewhat appealing. The pleasure of it all will seduce you. Don't fall for it. Don't be deceived. Whatever pain you've gone through, whatever pleasure is out there set before you, Christ is the one mediator between God and man. He is your Lord. He is the one you can trust and follow and open your eyes to anyone who's trying to turn you away from that. I want to just give you an opportunity now to pray in response to what you've heard. And maybe as you felt the pull from anything away from Christ, this is your chance to start the year right. This is your chance, however far off you veered from the trail, to turn back, to come to him, to leave behind that other way. Let's pray. Maybe it's money. Father, maybe money is dragging the hearts of people in this room away from Christ. Just as Judas himself departed from the faith for a bag of silver and now is in hell. Maybe it's pleasure. The promise of freedom and indulgence now with pain coming, forbidden pleasure, the abuse of a far greater pleasure that you would like to bring into the person's life. They want it now from a bad source. Maybe it's pleasure. Maybe it's power, the glory of this life, the strength of a personality, the title to stand over fellow men and women with authority. Maybe the voices are coming from books or radio, maybe friends. Maybe spouses or relatives, strangers even. Lord, I don't know. I just know that you are warning those in this room today to turn back. To depart from lies, to get out of the clunker, to come back to Christ the Savior with a whole heart. I just pray, Lord, that there would be repentance here, starting off this new year right turning away from all temptation, from all deceit, turning back to the truth about Christ, the truth alone that can fill the heart with joy and peace in this life and in the next. Father, forgive us. Forgive us for the lies that deceive us. Forgive us for the pleasures that entice us. Forgive us for settling for lesser things in this world than your best. Forgive us when we believe things that are not true. Forgive us when we trust those lies to bring us happiness. Help us to get back on the safe trail of your word. Help us to trust you, to know your plan is best. What you've created, you've created for good. What you've promised, you've promised for good. What you've forbidden, you've forbidden for good. We trust you. Receive us back. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.